Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone. This is Kennard Brown, your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is January 8th, 2011. Our prayer should go out to uh, the latest shooting in this country. Um, a congressman has been shot. I don't know if she's dead or not, but regardless of that, we need to be praying for her and everyone else has been shot at that uh, grocery store. There was some kind of event that she held, and it's unfortunate when you hear things like that. But as far as the Ted Williams situation, that's positive. Hopefully people will start to care about other homeless people that don't have talent like he does and, and to reach out and help them as well. As practicing uh, pure religion, um, the definition of pure religion is found in our Bibles. Uh, if you want to turn to James, James chapter 1, verse 27. This is what we all should be doing, not only as a United States nation or country, but the entire world should be doing this. And because not every single human being is doing this, the majority anyway, that's the reason why we have homeless people, not only in this country, but worldwide. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 27, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. I'm reading this in the uh, King James Version. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world, meaning that uh, obviously there's some problems with the world and we should steer away from evil influences, just like uh, Ted Williams, the reason why he was out in the street. He was on drugs uh, and he was alcoholic and so forth, and he seems to be very determined not to get back into that, so we should be praying that he doesn't get back into that situation. All right. The title of this Bible study is, Is There an Absolute Authority That We Can Trust? And I've had some relatives tell me, one particular relative, I'm not going to give his name out of respect to him, but uh, he has told me, and I can tell his sentiment about the Bible. Uh, there's many different interpretations about the Bible. How can we trust the Bible? The Bible was written by men, blah, blah, blah. Well, my challenge to that, and for anyone that feels that way, is this. Let me ask you a question. Why is there no peace in the world today? Now, when people think of peace, they think, oh, there's no fighting. What I'm talking about is real peace, peace of mind, uh, not having to worry about um, locking up your house, thinking that somebody's going to break into the home. Uh, not having to worry about locking up your car, knowing that no one will steal anything or steal the car, etc. That type of peace, peace of mind, knowing that everything is taken care of, you have enough food and clothes, etc. You know no one's going to attack you. You know, like today, what happened to that congressman and her um, and her staff, part of her staff anyway, getting shot and, and some other innocent people. Uh, you don't have to worry about that when you go to the grocery store. Peace is when none of that occurs. We don't have real peace in this world, if you want to be honest with yourself about it. And my question is this, why is that the case? Well, the Bible tells you why. And for you to understand that, you need to read what God says about how to solve peace. I don't need to ask Obama or any uh, great world leader about how to solve the world's problems. All I need to do is pick up the Bible and read it and I'm no different than you. If you have a Bible in your homes, which most Americans do anyway, 
I think between 92 and 96 percent, get it out of your closet, whatever, and start reading it. This is the time not this is the time right now not to forsake the Bible, folks. Things are getting serious. I know you may have heard this before, but I have the facts to back it up and I'll be doing some programs in the future to convince you that this is the time that Jesus or Yeshua, his Hebrew name, stated that he would come back during this time period. Don't know exactly what year. I'm not gonna be a fool and tell you what I think, because I, I don't know. I don't know when he's going to come. All I know is that this is the generation that he talked about. The signs are there. But anyway, is is it is there an absolute authority we can trust? And I'm here to tell you today that there is. And that authority is the Bible. What I want to do is give you some historical references of quotes from people of notoriety, people, presidents, and people that had something to do with um, creating our um, Constitution, the United States Constitution. I'm doing this so I want you to understand where we came from and where we are right now as a nation. The reason why we're having so many problems today is because we have taken the Bible out of the classroom. We've taken God out of government practically. We have done a lot of things. Um, how can I say that? Well, for one example, one tremendous example of the many, is the fact that uh, of the repealing of no ask, don't ask, I mean, sorry, <laughs> don't ask, don't tell, okay? And look, this is really not an issue as far as this, how God feels about homosexuals, okay? He loves them, I love them too, okay? But we just don't like what they do to themselves, okay? And God clearly reveals that in the Bible that that's wrong. He does. Look in Leviticus chapter 18, Leviticus chapter 20. It's all there. So it's pretty clear. And, and, and for people that say, well, Jesus was gay, whatever, that's not true. If you look at Matthew chapter 19 and study that, he went back to Genesis, and he stated that he didn't say the actual word marriage, but he said a man and a woman become one flesh. Come on, folks, that's marriage, okay? And even in the context of that scripture, he talked about he was talking, it was in the context of divorce, so it has something to do with marriage because you can't get a divorce without being married. So Matthew chapter 19, and the first few verses there, he is addressing that issue. And he defined marriage or union between a man and a woman. So that's pretty clear, folks, if we want to believe our Bibles. So anyway, um, I'll get into that later on, hopefully today. But let's begin by looking at what Woodrow Wilson, the 28th President of the United States, felt about the Bible. And this is, I'm referring to this book as a wonderful book. It's called America's God and Country, Encyclopedia of Quotations. It's by William J. Federer. And let me turn to page 697 of this book. Uh, Woodrow Wilson became the 28th President of the United States after having served as the Governor of New Jersey. He was an educator, author, and president of Princeton University. In his inaugural address, March 4, 1913, President Woodrow Wilson stated, God's own presence where justice and mercy are reconciled and the judge and the brother are one. God helping me, I will not fail. So Woodrow Wilson understood that there is a God and that this God will direct his paths. Woodrow Wilson remarked, a man had deprived himself of the best areas in the world who has deprived himself of this, a knowledge of the Bible. Let me underscore or repeat this or emphasize this. A man had deprived himself of the best there is in the world who has deprived himself of this, a knowledge of the Bible. When you have read the Bible, you will know it is the word of God because you will have found it the key to your own heart or mind, your own happiness, and your own duty. Let me repeat this. When you have read the Bible, this is by Woodrow Wilson, the 28th President of the United States. He states here, when you have read the Bible, you will know it is the Word of God because you will have found it the key to your own heart, your own happiness, and your own duty. I am sorry for the men who do not read the Bible every day. So this president, the 28th President of the United States, Woodrow Wilson, read his Bible every day. I wonder why they deprive themselves of the strength and of the pleasure. 
And then July 4, 1913, in a message delivered at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, President Woodrow Wilson declared, Here is the nation God has built it by our hands. So God built this nation, folks. What shall we do with it? And then in 1911, at a Denver rally, Woodrow Wilson remarked, A nation which does not remember what it was yesterday does not know what it is today, nor what it is trying to do. And that is a prophecy, folks, because that perfectly pictures our country today. We are trying to do a futile thing if we do not know where we came from or what we have been about. The Bible is the one supreme source of revelation of the meaning of life, the nature of God, and spiritual nature and needs of men. Again, folks, this is by Woodrow Wilson, the 28th President of the United States. It is the only guide of life which really leaves the spirit. Let me repeat. It is the only guide of life, the only guide of life, which really leaves the spirit in the way of peace and salvation. America was born a Christian nation. So true. America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of Holy Scripture. So Woodrow Wilson obviously was a fervent believer of God's word. Now, what is righteousness? Does righteousness have something to do with the law of God? Yes, it does. Let's turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, beginning in 172. Beginning and ending in 172. Psalm 119, verse 172 in the King James Version of the Bible says, My tongue shall speak of thy word, colon, continue the thought, for all thy commandments are righteousness. So when the Bible talks about a righteous person, that person is doing the best of her or his ability to keep all the commandments of God. That is a righteous person. Okay, so I just wanted to clarify that. And let's continue on with our quotes from Distinguished Men. This is from Ronald Reagan. He is the 40th President of the United States, or he was the 40th President of the United States. Uh, He has recently died, as uh, I'm sure many of you know. Uh, Page 528 of this book, uh, America's God and Country. Give proper credit. Now, this is prophetic. I, I, I really feel these are prophetic words from Mr. Reagan. The 40th President of the United States in 1980 said, and this is uh, approximately um, how many years? Uh, 20 year, uh, 21 years ago? Yeah, 21 years ago he stated this or should I say uh, 31 years ago, 31 years ago, all right? It says, the time has come to turn to God and reassert our trust in him for the healing of America. Folks, we need healing. <laughs> we definitely need healing. Uh, as many abortions as we have allowed over the years, and also with uh, this unhealthy and despicable awareness of homosexuality that is... Uh, poisoning our nation right now. We need to be awakened. And I agree with uh, Ronald Reagan. He said, the time has come to turn to God and reassert our trust in him for the healing of America. Our country is in need of and ready for a spiritual renewal. And I agree with him. It says, President Ronald Reagan, October 4, 1982, has authorized and requested by a joint resolution of the 97th Congress of the United States of America held at the city of Washington, designated 1983 as the National Year of the Bible. We need not only a year of the Bible, we need years of the Bible, folks. The resolution, Public Law 97-280, declared, Whereas the Bible, the Word of God, has made a unique contribution in shaping the United States as a distinctive and blessed nation and people, whereas deeply held religious convictions springing from the Holy Scriptures led to the early settlement of our nation, Whereas biblical teachings inspired concepts of civil government that are contained in our Declaration of Independence and Constitution of the United States. Whereas many of our great national leaders, among them Presidents Washington, Jackson, Lincoln, and Wilson, paid tribute to the surpassing influence of the Bible in our country's development 
as in the words of President Jackson, that the Bible is the rock on which our republic rests. Again, let me underscore what President Jackson, our seventh president of the United States, number seven is the number of completion, by the way, that the Bible is the rock on which our republic rests. Whereas the history of our nation clearly illustrates the value of voluntary, voluntarily applying the teachings of the scriptures in the lives of individuals, families, and societies, whereas this nation now faces great challenges that will test this nation as has never been tested before, and whereas that renewing our knowledge of and faith in God through Holy Scripture can strengthen us as a nation and a people. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America and Congress assembled that the President is authorized and requested to designate 1983 as a national year of the Bible in recognition of both the formative influence the Bible has been for our nation and our national need to study and apply the teachings of the Holy Scriptures. Again, this is by our 40th President of the United States, a very popular president and very successful, Ronald Reagan. Now, somebody you may not have heard of, um, this is Fisher Ames, uh, page 26 of this great book, America's God and Country. Fisher Ames was a congressman from Massachusetts in the first session of the Congress of the United States when the Bill of Rights was formulated. It was Fisher Ames who, on August 20, 1789, suggested the wording of the First Amendment, which was adopted by the House. Here's the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law establishing religion or to prevent the free exercise thereof or to infringe the rights of conscience. And because of this law, I'm able to speak to you and many others on blog, talk, radio, or other mediums. Anyway, Fisher Ames shared his beliefs concerning education. Should not the Bible regain the place it once held as a school book? And this is prophetic, folks, because, you know, this was going on back in the 18th, in the 18th century. And it's far worse today than it was back then. But anyway, he says, should not the Bible regain the place it once held as a school book? Its morals are pure, its examples are captivating and noble. The reverence for the sacred book that is thus early impressed lasts long, and probably, if not impressed in infancy, never takes firm hold of the mind. And no book is there so good English, so pure and so elegant, and by teaching all the same, they will speak alike, and the Bible will justly remain the standard of language as well as faith. On September 20th, 1789, in an article published in Platinum Magazine, Fisher Ames stated, We have a dangerous trend beginning to take place in our education. We're starting to put more and more textbooks into our schools. We've become accustomed of late of putting little books into the hands of children containing fables and moral lessons. And I add that uh, we are really, really into fables and... <laughs> and more or less than today with our movie industry and so forth. We are spending less time in the classroom on the Bible, which should be the principal text in our schools. The Bible states these great moral lessons better than any other man-made book, and I totally agree with Mr. Fisher Ames there. Benjamin Rush is probably another person you may not have heard of. I know I didn't, so I started researching this. Anyway, I got this uh, quote from, or this reference from, The Christian Life and Character by Benjamin F. Morris is a very excellent book. And on page 173, we're going to start reading about Mr. Benjamin Rush and find out about him. Benjamin Rush, page 173, an eminent physician, a philanthropist, and one of the immortal men, well, he's not immortal, but <laughs> uh, who signed the Declaration of Independence was an was as eminent as a Christian as he was distinguished for his influence in the councils of the country. John Adams declared him to be one of the greatest and best of Christians. He delighted in acts of Christian charities and esteemed the poor his best patients, for God said he is their paymaster. He was an earnest advocate of introducing and reading the Bible daily as a common school book in all public schools and in every seminary of learning. He wrote as follows on this important subject. And subheading here on page 174, the Bible as a school book. Before I state my arguments in favor of teaching children to read by means of the Bible, I shall assume the five following propositions. Number one, that Christianity is the only true and perfect religion. I totally agree with him on that. And that in 
proportion as mankind adopt its principles and obey its precepts, they will be wise and happy. Number two, that a better knowledge of this religion is to be acquired by reading the Bible than any other way. Number three, that the Bible contains more knowledge necessary to man in its present state than any other book in the world. Number four, that knowledge is most durable and religious instruction most useful when imparted in early life. True, true, true. Number five, that the Bible, when not read in schools, is seldom read in any subsequent period of life. That's true. My arguments in favor of the use of the Bible as a school book are found at first in the constitution of the human mind. The memory is the first faculty which opens in the minds of children. Of how much consequence, then, must it be to impress it with great truths of Christianity before it is preoccupied with less interesting subjects? There is also a peculiar amplitude in the minds of children for religious knowledge. I have constantly found them in the first six or seven years of their lives more inquisitive upon religious subjects than any others. And an ingenious instructor of youth has informed me that he has found young children more capable of receiving just ideas upon the most difficult tenets of religion than the most simple branches of human knowledge. There is a wonderful property in the memory which enables it in old age to recover the knowledge it acquired in early life, after it had been apparently forgotten for 40 or 50 years. Of how much consequence, then, must it be to fill the mind with that species of knowledge in childhood and youth when recalled in the decline of life will support the soul under the infirmities of age and smooth the avenues of approaching death? The Bible is the only book which is capable of affording this support to old age and it is for this reason that we find it resorted to with so much diligence and pleasure by such old people as have read it in early life. I can recollect many instances of this kind and persons who discovered no attachment to the Bible in the meridian of their lives who have, notwithstanding, spent the evening of them in reading no other book. My second argument in favor of the use of the Bible in schools is founded upon an implied command of God and upon the practice of several of the wisest nations of the world. In the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, we find the following words, which are directly to my purpose. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and you shall teach them diligently, like a care, unto thy children, and you shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when you walkest by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. So this is by, again, this great man here, Benjamin Rush, and obviously he was a believer of God and the Bible, and he did suggest highly that the Bible should be used as a textbook in our public school system. Of course, we can tell by the way our kids behave that <laughs> it's not in the public school system, and we really hardly ever go by it. Um, so it's unfortunate that that's the case here. And he quoted the scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's turn there here. I can give that scripture to you for reference. Actually, this is part of the um, what the Jews call the Shema. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and again I have to tell you this, um, our country and the British Commonwealth, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, countries in northwestern Europe, we all are part of Israel. Of course, the little nation Israel in the Middle East is also a part of Israel. Uh, there were 12 tribes of Israel. The Jews are only one of the tribes of Israel. They are the tribe of Judah. That's uh, revealed in Genesis chapter 49. But if you want more proof of that, go to this website, www.britam, B as in boy, R-I-T-A-M dot org, B as in boy, R-I-T-A-M dot org, Britam dot org, and he will reveal information to you uh, from the Bible that proves that the United States is a part of Israel. We We believe in God perhaps more so than any other nation. Uh, we have the Bible more so than any other nation other than perhaps Britain and the other areas that I told you about. We are the richest nation in the world. We have a lot 
and again, I've stated this in many programs. We one of the things that you really can use to prove that we are part of Israel is the fact that God calls Israel uh, waxing fat and and rich and and waxing fat. And there's no other peoples in the world that fits that description other than us. I mean, we're we're, we're very fat. Matter of fact, I was looking at the Biggest Loser. Uh, I'm so sorry for those people. I mean, they are so big and fat. And and there's no other country where we can have big and fat people like that. Big and fat and also with plenty as far as material possessions. That is the identifier of who Israel is. And this is prevalent not only in the United States, but also in Canada and New Zealand and Australia and, and uh, South Africa and the countries in northwestern Europe. Uh, we have the fattest people in the world. Uh, in addition to having the, the most resources, that combination identifies who we are. It's very simple to figure out, folks. And among those regions as well, we have distributed, uh, we have the most distribution of Bibles. Of course, in Israel, they just have the Old Testament or what is called the Tanakh. That's what they call it, the Tanakh, because they don't believe um, that uh, Yeshua or Jesus is the Messiah, even though I think between 200,000 and 600,000 are waking up and realizing that he is. And it is prophesied that uh, all Jews will realize that Jesus is the Messiah one day. So, referring back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that you may increase mightily as the Lord of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. So these are our ancestors, as 1 Corinthians chapter 10 explains. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart or mind. And verse 7, this is where he got this scripture from, and uh, Mr. Benjamin Rush. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And then let me add to it, and verse 8, And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house, and on thy gates. So, this is, and let me just read the rest of this, verse 10. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swore unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which symbolizes the the example of how to obey God. He talks about that a lot. He, he mentions, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We need to analyze their lives and find out what they did right and copy it. To give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. Verse 11, and houses full of all, of all good things which thou fillest not. And wells dig, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. So here we go again with the eating problem, eating and be full. <laughs> Verse 12, then beware that not you forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Uh, we they have a tendency, especially our peoples, when we eat and eat and uh, have a bunch of food and so forth, we, we start to feel, okay, well, I'm satisfied. My needs to take care. Get away from me, God. I only need you. I'll rub the genie bottle when uh, when I need you. But uh, right now I don't need you, so just go someplace let me eat my steak and let me look at my football game or do other things that is really a waste of time uh, or we spend too much time on. But this is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 3 to 12. That's a good scripture for you to study and to read to your children and uh, teach your kids or teach yourself. All right, Abraham Lincoln, I know you know who that is. Abraham Lincoln, uh, from America's God and Country, Encyclopedia of Quotations by William J. Federer. Uh, this is on page uh, 388. In the summer of 1864, an old friend of Lincoln, Joshua Speed, observed a president reading a Bible and remarked, I am glad to see you so profitably engaged. If you have recovered from your skepticism, I am sorry to say that I have not. So his friend Joshua uh, revealed to Abraham Lincoln that he was skeptical about the Bible, like many people are today. 
Then putting his hand on his friend's shoulder, Lincoln replied, You are wrong, Speed. Take all that you can of this book upon reason and the balance of faith, and you will live and die a happier man. That is from uh, President Abraham Lincoln, one of the greatest presidents who uh, ever lived by far. And this is a man that uh, Obama claims to, to admire. And he is the uh, 16th president of the United States. Um, you know, uh, president Obama, the uh, 44th president of the United States. Now, continuing on with uh, Abraham Lincoln here, as reported in the Washington Chronicle, September 5th, 1864, President Abraham Lincoln addressed a committee of colored people from Baltimore acknowledging the elegant Bible they had presented to him. So he went and uh, presented something to the Committee of Colored People. So in regard to this, back then, black people were called colored people. In regard to this great book, I have but to say, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has given to man. Let me repeat and underscore that. In regard to this great book, Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president of the United States, states this. In in regard to this great book, I have but to say, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has given to man, all the good Savior gave to the world was communicated through this book but for this book we could not know right from wrong and let me underscore that one our 16th president of the united states our 16th president of the united states that was unfortunately gunned down and assassinated probably because he felt the way he felt about the bible he says uh but for this book the bible we could not know right from wrong this is from our 16th president of the united states all things most desirable for man's welfare, here and hereafter, are to be found portrayed in it. Again, all things most desirable for man's welfare, here and hereafter, are to be found portrayed in it. To you I return my most sincere thanks for the elegant copy of the great book of God which you present. So this is, um, let me read this uh, as far as Thanksgiving. This is the way we should be celebrating Thanksgiving. On October 21, 1864, President Abraham Lincoln issued the second annual day of National Thanksgiving on the last Thursday in November. And I do further recommend to my fellow citizens, aforesaid, that on that occasion they do reverently humble themselves in the dust and from this offer up uh, fervent prayers and supplications to the great disposer of events for a return of the blessings of peace, union, and harmony throughout the land which it has pleased him to assign as a dwelling place for ourselves and for our posterity throughout all generations. So, you know, that should be the focus on Thanksgiving, to to, to really give thanks to God that we exist and that he has protected us and sustained us. And that's the, the spirit of Thanksgiving that Abraham desired for each and every American to, to have um, during the celebration of Thanksgiving. Benjamin Franklin, I know I know many of you should know who he is anyway. Uh, he, I got this from the book, again, The Christian Life and Character by Benjamin F. Morris. His name also, his first name anyway is Benjamin. Page 298. And this is uh, Franklin's uh, Christian Address to the Convention. And this was uh, during the difficulties of, of trying to form the Constitution. It says, Mr. President, the slow progress we have made after four or five weeks of close attendance and continual reasoning with each other, our different sentiments on almost every question, several of the last producing as many nays as yeas, is, methinks, a melancholy proof of the imperfection of human understanding. We indeed seem to feel our own want of political wisdom since we have been running about in search of it. We have gone back to ancient history for models of government and examined the different forms of those republics which, having been formed with the seeds of their own dissolution, now no longer exist. And we have viewed modern states all around Europe, but find none of their constitutions suitable to our circumstances. Page 299. In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it, when presented to us how has it happened, sir, that we have not here thereto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understanding? In other words, let's go back to the Bible. In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, 
We had daily prayers in this room for the divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of superintending providence in our favor. To that kind providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend, or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. Uh, This is by Benjamin Franklin, one of the greatest men who ever lived in this country. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, and right now the Lord is not building the house of representatives, folks. Anyway, except the Lord, except the Lord, rather, (laughs) except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Right now our government, the House of Representatives and the Senate, jumping up and down, passing a law where uh, people can can uh, not be ashamed of being gay in the army and, and saying, hey, we're gay and we love it. I mean, that that's not something. You're not building the Lord's house doing that. You're destroying it. Anyway, except the Lord, and you're not let, letting the Lord build the house of representatives, except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. And Babel means confusion. And that's what's going on in our government. We can't even tell whether or not it's wrong to kill babies. We can't even tell whether it's wrong for two men or two women uh, to uh, to marry each other when God stated that a marriage is between a man and a woman in the Bible. It's, we're builders of Babel right now, folks. Our government. This is a prophecy by Benjamin Franklin. Uh, he says, uh, I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, without God and the, and the Bible in the picture, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interests, and we are with Republicans and Democrats. Our projects will become founded, and we ourselves become a reproach and byword down to future ages. What a prophecy. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate circumstance despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. And that's where we're headed, folks. I thereby beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. So Benjamin Franklin, ladies and gentlemen, understood. The, The founders of our nation understood the importance of God, folks. And I wanted to read that to you because we have forgotten that. We have forgotten that. So what I can tell each and every one of you that may be skeptical about the Bible is this. You need to to practice and and prove God whether or not he's going to do what he's going to do, whatever he's promised. God has proven to me that if I obey his law, that he will provide my needs. And he, he will do the same thing for you or anyone else. He plays no favorites. You know, I was um, kicked out of the house because of religion, uh, of my house, uh, with my family because of religion, because I wanted to keep the Sabbath with hardly anything at age 20. And now God has blessed me. I have an MBA in marketing. I have a beautiful wife. I have a a fine, handsome son, healthy. Uh, I've been blessed. I've been blessed. But the most important thing that God has blessed me with is the knowledge to teach the Bible to, to, to people. That's the the greatest gift he's ever, ever given me is the knowledge that I have right now about the Bible. And I know that he did that for a reason. He, he wants me to do what I'm doing now. I, I didn't think so at the time, but obviously I have the ability to teach the Bible to people, and I'm going to do it for free. I don't charge. Uh, that's not the way Jesus ran his ministry or Paul, and I'm not going to do that either. So... Uh, you'll never have to worry about me charging or asking uh, for money. Although if you want to give money, don't I wouldn't stop you uh, from doing that, but uh, that's not the purpose of a ministry is to, to preach uh, for money. Um, 
John chapter 14, verse 6. So, so what, what does the Bible say is the way that we should follow, folks? And I'm going to use the easy-to-read version of the Bible. I have 19 minutes left, and hopefully I can get all these scriptures out. And I'm trying to simplify this. I can go into detail and talk about how the, the Bible was, uh, was um, written down and so forth, but I want to make this as simple as I can and prove this as simple as I can, folks. In John 14, verse 6, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible, and I'm going to read that from that version unless uh, I'll, I'll let you know if I need to read another uh, version for clarity's sake because these modern translations, you've got to be careful with them. Uh, John 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. So this is the sentiment of, of uh, the people that I, I mentioned to you. They all believe that, the way, the truth, and the life was through Jesus Christ, our Messiah, Yeshua Messiah, which Yeshua is his Hebrew name. And Christ, uh, that's the Greek word for Messiah. So he's the way, the truth, and the life. So we have to, to follow him. Now, now, what what did he do? What did he do? Let's turn to John, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Starting at verse 1 in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. We want to tell you about the word that gives life, the one who existed before the world began. The word, of course, is another name for Jesus. This is the one who we have heard and have seen with our own eyes. We saw what he did, and our hands touched him. Yes, the one who is life was shown to us. We saw him, and so we can tell others about him. We now tell you about him. He is the eternal life that was with God, the Father, and was shown to us. Verse 3. We are telling you about what we have seen and heard because we want you to have fellowship with us. The fellowship we share together is with God the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. Do you realize what he's saying here, that if we behave ourselves, we can have fellowship with God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ? Verse 4, we write these things to you so that you can be full of joy with us. That's how we can be full of joy, folks. Not through looking at our football games and doing all kinds of other things. Uh, that has nothing to do with God, but to fellowship with God the Father and, and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's how we can have joy, full joy. Verse 5, we heard the true teaching from God, now we tell it to you. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness. Verse 6, so if we say that we share in life with God, but we continue living in darkness, we are liars who don't follow the truth. So that that's very important, folks. Uh, we, we need to... Follow God and, and follow the truth, and we and we need to uh, realize the importance of doing that. I'm looking for another scripture here. Okay, yeah, it's the second chapter here, First John, chapter two. I was only going to go quote from that scripture, but that was a good scripture to to quote, though. Okay, in the easy to read version of the Bible. Uh, verse 1 of 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this letter to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone sins, we have Jesus Christ to help us. He always did what was right, so he is able to defend us before God the Father. How much time I got left? 16 minutes, okay. Verse 2. Jesus is the way our sins are taken away, and he is the way all people can have their sins taken away too. Verse 3. If we obey what God has told us to do, then we are sure that we know him. If we say we know God but do not obey his commands, we are lying. The truth is not in us. Verse 5, but when we obey God's teaching, his love is truly working in us. This is how we know that we are living in him. Verse 6 is the pivotal verse here. If we say we live in God, we must live the way Jesus lived. And how did Jesus live, folks? Okay, let's let's find out here. This is very simple here. I'm trying to break this down. <laughs> John 15, verse 10. Well, first, before I quote this, because some people say that uh, Jesus had separate commandments from his Father. That's, that's a lie. In John 10, verse 30, he states this. The Father and I are one. Okay, so <laughs> the Father and I are one means they are in total agreement with everything, which means that the commandments weren't nailed to the cross, as unfortunately many Christians are taught today, that false doctrine. Anyway, uh, John chapter 15, verse 10. 
states this. I have obeyed my Father's commandments, and I just showed you the scriptures. In John 10, verse 30, he says, I and my Father are one. Okay, And I'm going to show you another scripture that he didn't come to destroy the law of Moses, which many people teach today. All right, John 15, verse 10, I have obeyed my Father's commandments, and he continues to love me. In the same way, if you obey my commands, I will continue to love you, which are one with the Father. Okay? Now, the pivotal verse here is, is many pivotal verses, and before before I turn to that, what is what is the Bible's definition of the truth, other than Yeshua, the Word of God being the truth? Uh, let's turn to Psalms one It says, your goodness is forever, and your teachings can be trusted. So that's the easy-to-read version, but uh, the King James Version, I have to go back to it sometime, because uh, it does, in a lot of cases, uh, you compare it to the English versions of the Bible, has has a better translation. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 142, thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law, which law means Torah, in Hebrew, and that means teachings. Thy teachings is the truth. All right? Now, in Matthew 5, verses 17 to 19. It's another important verse here. Matthew 5, verse 17. Don't think that I have come to destroy the law of Moses. And that's what people teach today. That... This, I'm reading as an easy-to-read version of the Bible, that Christ came to destroy the law of Moses. What does he say here in red letters? That he didn't do that. Don't think that I have come to destroy the law of Moses or the teaching of the prophets. I have come not to destroy their teachings, but to give full meaning to them. That's why he came, to help you understand them, not to do away with them. Verse 18, I assure you that nothing will disappear from the law, the law of Moses, until heaven and earth are gone. The reason why it's called the law of Moses is because God used Moses to give the law. Not because it's a separate law from God. The law of Moses is the law of God. And if you need more understanding about that, on my um, my uh, Blog Talk Radio website, my, the special program that's posted on there is, is the title of it is the Law of Moses, the Law of God, or is the Law of Moses uh, nailed to the cross. I, I really implore you to listen to that so you'll understand through the scriptures that it's not that the Law of Moses is the Law of God. Anyway, Matthew 5, verse 17, Don't think that I have come to destroy the law of Moses or the teaching of the prophets. I have come not to destroy their teachings, but to give full meaning to them. This is in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. Verse 18, I assure you that nothing will disappear from the law until heaven and earth are gone. Now, is heaven and earth gone, folks? No. So are you going to believe Jesus' words or your own thoughts and interpretations? The law will not lose even the smallest letter or the smallest part of a letter until it has all been done. That has not occurred yet, folks. Verse 19, a person should obey every command in the law, even one that does not seem important. Let me underscore that. A person should obey every command in the law, even one that does not seem important. Whoever refuses to obey any command and teaches others not to obey it will be the least important in God's kingdom. But whoever obeys the law and teaches others to obey it will be great in God's kingdom. And that's what he said there. Now, in Psalm 119, how much time I got left here? 11 minutes. Okay, I've got to speed it up here. Psalm 119, verse 165. What's the way to peace, folks? Everyone's talking about peace. There's been books written about peace, but but none of them really tell you what the what what the the real solution to peace is. Uh, what's going to bring about peace? Psalm 119, verse 165. Those who love your teachings will find true peace. That's an easy-to-read version of the Bible. Nothing can make them fall. Psalm 119, verse 166. Lord, I am waiting for you to save me. I obey your commandments. Salvation has something to do, folks, with obeying the commandments. And I wanted to read this in Isaiah 59. There's a lot of the scriptures I want to quote. I might have to probably continue this next week, uh, what I can't finish today. But Isaiah chapter 59. An easy to read version of the Bible. Look, the Lord's power is enough to save you. He can hear you when you ask him for help. Verse 2, 
It is your sins that separate you from your God. He turns away from you when he sees them. Verse 3, that's because your hands are covered with blood. And you know that, that can refer to all these abortions that's going around in, in this country. Uh, from the people you murdered. You tell lies and say evil things. Verse 4, our media lies. They tell the truth, but also they lie as well. They don't tell you the complete information. Verse 4, you can't be trusted, even in court. You lie about each other and depend on false arguments to win your cases. You create pain and produce wickedness. Talking about our, our people, folks. You hatch evil like eggs from a poisonous snake. Anyone who eats the eggs will die, and if you break one of them open, a poisonous snake will come out. Your lies are like spider webs. Verse 6, they cannot be used for clothes, and you cannot cover yourself with them. Your hands are always busy sinning and hurting others. Now, he's talking about the majority. Verse 7, your feet run toward, particularly the people in these leadership positions, Verse 7, your feet run toward evil. You are always ready to kill innocent people. You think of nothing but evil. Everywhere you go, you cause trouble and ruin. Verse 8, you don't know how to live in peace. You don't do what is right and fair. You are crooked, and anyone who lives like that will never know true peace. Verse 9, all fairness and goodness is gone. There is only darkness around us, so we must wait for the light. We hope for a bright light. We all, we all, but all we have is darkness. We hope... For a bright light, but all we have is darkness. Verse 10, we are like people without eyes. We walk into walls like blind people. We stumble and fall as it, is, as it was night. Even in the daylight, we cannot see. At noontime, we fall like dead men. Verse 11, we are always complaining. We growl like bears and moan like doves. It pictures our country. We are waiting for justice, but there is none, hardly none. We are waiting to be saved, but salvation is far away. That's because we committed crimes against our God. Our own sins speak out against us. We know we are guilty. We know we have sinned. Verse 13, we rebelled against the Lord and lied to him. We turned away from our God and left him. We planned to hurt others and to rebel against God. From hearts filled with lies, we talked about it and made our plans. Verse 14, we pushed justice away. Fairness stands off in the distance. Truth has swallowed in the streets. Goodness is not allowed in the city. Loyalty is gone, and people who try to do good are robbed. Let me underscore that. Loyalty is gone, and people who try to do good are robbed. The Lord looked and saw there was no justice. He did not like what he saw. He did not see anyone speak up for the people. He was shocked to see that no one stood up for them. So with his own power, he saved them. He desired to do what is right and gave him strength, which salutes to uh, Jesus Christ coming to earth and showing us how to live the right way, although hardly anyone really goes by what he taught today. How can I say that? Well, let's look at the world. Look at our country. We have over 40 million people right now in poverty. Uh, there's no excuse in the richest country in the world to allow that. We have over 15 million people right now, regardless of what the media is lying to you and telling you that things are getting ready to be okay because our unemployment rate uh, reduced by 0.4% to 9.4% instead of 9.8%. And... and uh, we are, we are really headed toward a collapse, folks. The only way that we're going to be able to get our act together is to turn to the God of the Bible, as our past presidents have stated, and people that were involved in the Constitution of the United States and creating the Constitution of the United States. Isaiah chapter 24, I'm going to have to um, quote some other scriptures next week here because I'm running out of time here. Isaiah chapter 24, but I'm going to end with this scripture, and I want you to, to think about what God is saying here in the scripture. Isaiah chapter 24, verse 1. Look, the Lord is destroying... Oh, let me read this in, in a better version than this. Uh, yeah, the Bible, I'm going to read this in the uh, the Bible in basic English version, 1965. Isaiah 24, verse 1. See, the Lord is making the earth waste and unpeopled. He is turning it upside down, and sending the people in all directions. Verse 2, And it will be the same for the people as for the priest, for the servant as for his master, and for the woman servant as for her owner, the same for the one offering goods for a price as for him who takes them, the same for him who gives money at interest, and for him who takes it, the same for him who lets others have the use of his property as for those who make use of it. So this is going to affect everybody. That's what he's saying. Verse 3, The earth will be, if we don't repent, the earth will be completely waste and without men, for this is the word of the Lord. Verse 4. The earth is souring and wasting away. The world is full of grief and wasting away. The high ones of the earth come to nothing. This is describing the state of our world right now, folks. 
Verse 5, the earth has been made unclean by those living in it because the laws, the laws that I just described that weren't nailed to the cross, have not been kept by them. The orders have been changed, and the eternal agreement has been broken, the eternal agreement that God made with Israel, and Israel was supposed to share that with the entire world. Verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 24, for this cause, for this reason, the earth is given up to the curse. What is the curse? And those in it are judged as sinners. For this cause, those living on the earth are burnt up, and the rest are small in number. That's where we're headed, folks. If we continue on with the shenanigans of thinking that we can uh, rule this earth without referring to God's law. And God is looking at our nation. We are the example to the world. And we are failing miserably, folks. He is angry not only with this nation, but he's angry with all nations. Isaiah chapter 34, starting in verse 1. Isaiah 34, verse 1. Come near, you nations, and give ear. Take note, you peoples. This is addressed to the entire world. Let the earth and everything in it give ear, the world and all those living in it. Verse 2. For the Lord is angry with all the nations, not just the United States, and his wrath is burning against all their armies. Colon, continue the thought. He has put them to the curse. He has given them to destruction. Verse 3, their dead bodies will be thick on the face of the earth, and their smell will come up, and the mountains will be flowing with their blood, and all the hills will come to nothing. And the heavens will be rolled together like the roll of a book, and all their army will be gone, and like a dead leaf on the vine or dry fruit from the fig tree. For my sword in heaven is full of wrath. See, it is coming down on Edom, which describes the Middle East, and punishment on the people of my curse, and also Edom can also be a word for the Gentile nations or, or those who are pretending to obey God, but they aren't. That's a Bible study in itself. Anyway, verse 6, The sword of the Lord is full of blood. It is fat with the best of the meat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the best parts of the sheep. For the Lord has a feast in Basra, and much cattle will be put to death in the land of Edom. Now, this is specifically talking about uh, in the Middle Eastern area there. Because he's going to come back and land his feet on the Mount of Olives, uh, the Mount of Olives, which is the Mount of Olives, which is right across from the Temple Mount, right across uh, the Temple Mount, which is in Jerusalem. Two minutes left. And this is really what I just read to you is describing the sixth seal in the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter 6. One of those seals describe what is uh, really the beginning stages of what's going on today, which is worldwide famine, uh, not having enough food and, and economic problems. Revelation, Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse um, 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. This is in the... Uh, King James Version. And the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree cast of her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and every island was moved out of their places. So every mountain and every island is going to be moved out of their places. That's where we're headed, folks, because of sin. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bombman, and every freeman, hid themselves in the dens and the rocks and the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So God's going to supernaturally reveal himself. And, of course, no man can look on God and live, so that's the reason why they're saying, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Verse 17, he's going to supernaturally do this. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? It's talking about the day of the Lord, which is talked about in many places uh, in, in the prophetic books. And this day will occur, ladies and gentlemen, unless... Um, our nation and other nations repent globally. I'm going to leave you with that, and I'll pick up uh, next week with the other scriptures uh, that I wanted to quote. So may God bless and keep you, and God willing, I will be available next week to give you another Bible study. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. 
But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <laughs> 